The thing was, I had absolutely nothing to lose. There was absolutely no expectations of my life from anybody. And what that gave me was total freedom. Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I am honored to be your host. Our mission here on the Impact Entrepreneur Show is not just to inspire you, but also to help you tap into and begin to believe in your God-given potential and purpose. That's right, baby. We want you to not only be inspired, but experience breakthrough. And we do that on this podcast by interviewing incredible people who are using their experiences, their skill set, their platforms to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. And here's the thing. None of these folks are simply sitting back, living a life of leisure. They have things to do, places to go, and lives to impact. Speaking of that, As a child, Vincent Puglisi was, in his words, a giant pain in the butt. For example, on the 200th year anniversary of the United States of America in 1976, everyone at his school had to wear red, white, and blue, but he insisted on wearing a green suit. This rebel streak may not have endeared him to his teachers or his mother, but it sure has worked in his favor in the entrepreneurial world. Vincent didn't do well at school, He actually dropped out of college a few times and was arrested when he was 18 years old for stealing. As a 22-year-old, he was working at a convenience store while making a little money, extra money on the side by overcharging every customer just a little bit. After a customer called him out on it, he woke up one night in a dead sweat and knew he had to change his life. His dad actually suggested that he become a sports photographer, and Vincent threw himself into attending games and hustling his way to the front row. He got a lucky break and took a chance at one of the games, and his sports photography career began to take off through people showing up, through by being present, by him being there, and people being open-minded, people recognizing the eagerness of another human being ready and willing to offer and help. That goes a long way and ultimately opened Vincent's eyes to the the mentors that surrounded him and that gave him opportunities because he showed up. Now he runs a photography business academy and a business mastermind program while enjoying financial freedom, homeschooling his three sons, and traveling with his family. His new book, Freelance to Freedom, is actually available for free as an audio download on his website, and we we link to that in the show notes, or you can actually go buy the physical copy on Amazon. Now, one of the things that I enjoyed so much about my conversation with Vincent is the topic of generosity. You will notice that we spend a great deal of time talking about the importance of having a generous spirit in today's economy, in today's entrepreneurial world, in today's world in general, having a generous spirit. And Vincent's achievements show just how far being curious and generous can take you in life. And I will tell you right off the bat that Vincent actually follow through, follows through with with his game, with his talk. He actually walks the talk and talks the talk. So, And he's sharing this life, not only with his wife, but also with his sons. And his goal for his sons is for them to constantly have a love for learning. There is so much 
value in this in this episode, so much insight, information, and empowering content that will make you think, that will make you pause, that will make you reflect back on the things that you've experienced and maybe the chances that you could have taken, the chances that you can take going right or left in your life from this day forward. So bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, embrace for impact. Vincent Puglisi, welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. Man, this has been a long time in the works, I think. And uh, I'm, I'm super stoked that we finally got this together, got our act together. Hopefully, the internet gremlins cooperate uh, temporarily and stop their chaos so that we can have an insightful, informative, inspirational conversation on this beautiful Friday morning. Wow. Uh, let's let's. Uh, I, first of all, it's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to talk to you. I'm glad we're finally doing this, and uh, I'm excited. I'm really excited. Yeah, you know, I I can't remember who first put us in in touch with each other. I'm not sure if it was Andy or I mean, it was somebody in our. You know, my sp- bet is my bet is it's Andy Storch. If it was anybody, yeah. I think it was Andy that connected us. Yeah, totally. So I'm I'm really excited that we finally got this going. Congratulations on to you on. Get concluding the audio version of your book and and putting that out into the world, I think for free. Did I hear that correctly? Like people, yeah, can go we'll talk, yeah, we'll talk more about that. But I, that's I just you know I'm not sure if you're a Seth Godin fan, but Seth Godin gave me some really great advice in terms of my book. And I should have done it sooner. And so recording the book, I was like, we're just gonna Seth Godin and John Lee Dumas gave me really great advice, and we're just gonna give it away, just give it away. And if it's you know it's been out for a while, but the audio version of it, I'm like. If people like it, they're going to resonate with it and it will spread that way. And if not, it won't. So it's kind of like, I love this experiment. So just giving it away. Yeah. Wow. That, dude, I, I love that. I love that idea. We'll talk more about that because that takes a, a lot of confidence in, in your message and what you're, you're doing to, to do that. And, and also a, a true servant's heart to, to do that. Right. So we'll, we'll talk about that and how you developed those those mindsets and beliefs because yeah. um, I think that those are definitely mindsets and beliefs that are cultivated. They're not just something we wake up with and say, Oh, I'm going to give away my content and everything for free. You know? So that, that, me. I, I wasn't, that, that wasn't me to begin with. That's for sure. <laughs> well, let's go back to the beginning. I want to talk about what it was like, what Vincent, the kid was like, what was, what was, what were Vincent's dreams? What did he want to be when he grew up? Like for me, I wanted to be, I had, I wanted to be a lot of different things. I wanted to be a police officer at one point. Of course, I wanted to be an army guy because my dad was an army officer. I wanted to be a professional athlete. I wanted to be an actor, all of these things. What did Vincent want to be? I, well, who I was, I was a pain. I was a giant pain <laughs> as a kid. Like, like, you know, my, my family, my friends just bless you, you know, for, for dealing with me. I really was. I was, I was, a, I was, I think I wanted to just be somebody that argued with people. I think that's what I wanted to be at first. To, to the point of, and my mom still tells the story. You know, I'm a little older. I'm 47, and you know, it was the the 200 year anniversary of the United States of America, 1976, and I was like five. And in my school, everybody was to show up wearing their red, white, and blue. And I said, no, I want to wear my green suit. I had one green suit. And mom was like, you can't wear the. I don't think I've ever even told the story. You can't wear the green suit to the to the 
bicentennial. I said, that's what I want to wear. So, you know, we fought this and that. And of course, there's a school picture of 27 kids in red, white, and blue and me sitting there with a smirk on my face with my green suit on. And I kind of knew from an early age that I was not going to be like everybody else. <laughs> you were a giant pain in the butt. Totally. <laughs> 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 I'm sure your mother like looks at that picture today. Or is your mother still with us? Yes, yeah, she is. I'm sure your mother still looks at at that picture today and shakes her head and says, "You." She still tells a... the story. She still tells the story <laughs> over and over. Like, Thanks, that mom. is awesome. So, so you wanted to be different. You you kind of always knew you were going to do something different. Did you have different dreams than the the average kid growing up? I don't know if I had that. I mean, I was like you. I wanted to be. I wanted to be an athlete. Right? I was a big sports fan growing up. I love sports. I love being. You know, I, I would go to a New York Mets game because I grew up in New York, and I would just like, you know, I'd marvel at the field and the stadium. I would like even draw pictures of it. I would try to make little replicas of it. But you know, I was always good enough to make the all. I was the way my sports career went. If you want to call it a career, is the first year I didn't do very well, and the next year I made the All Star team, and then the next year I didn't do very well as the level up, and then I made the All Star team. But I really realized I'm not going to be. I'm, I'm a five nine, you know, not that fast guy. Like I'm not. I'm not going to make it. I, I knew early on, you know, this is not in the cards. But I loved sports growing up. So, you know, this is where school came in, and where I think where, where I'm so down on school in so many ways. Where nobody saw that. Nobody saw it as like, oh, you could do something in an area that you love. Like if I can't be the second baseman for the Mets, there was no other option. And I think that's something that we're talking about with our kids that we're trying to bring to our kids, not in the sports way. Because ironically, being a huge sports fan and being a professional sports photographer so much of my life, I have three boys and none of them care about sports. Like, how did that happen? How did yeah. that happen? So, but I think of a sports in your life. That's a great question because I'm not sure because my dad wasn't into it, my mom wasn't into it, and my brother really wasn't even into it. I'm not sure. I don't know if it was a teamwork thing. I'm not sure if it was. I don't know why. That's a great question because I never really thought about it. I don't know why I liked it when nobody else in my family did. Now we're going to go through a therapy session right now because I'm not sure. <laughs> well, you know, there, one of the things that people have said is that being on the Impact Entrepreneur Show is a little bit like going to therapy. So there we go. You know. I'm ready. <laughs> you I'm know, on the couch. Um, the, uh, yeah, you're on Mike Flynn's couch. Hopefully, my, hopefully you don't like reach into the, you know, to the crevices of the couch and pull up a banana peel or something because we've been knowing, my kids have been known to, to eat a banana on the couch and then like put the banana peel down the, the cushions, you know? I mean, like who if does a, that? If there's a candy bar, like not an open candy bar and some change, I'm fine with it. I'll take it. <laughs> you said something about school and essentially passion, right? And so, mm-hmm. gosh, I love that you brought that up because the idea of all of our... We all have gifts, right? And I think that the world is hung up on the idea that our gifts only have value if we express them in one way that results in some sort of status or achievement mm-hmm. and in fact one of the core tenets of the book of my book is the fact that if we separate ourselves our gifts rather from the pursuit of status and achievement then we will be free to see and create more creatively you know, in other words, like what you, if, if somebody had said, you know, Vincent, you are a, you're a great athlete. You're not going to be a, a ball player in the big leagues, but there are a number of ways that you can express 
your passion for baseball and sports. Mm -hmm. And here are a few that would be so powerful. It, it would, it would, I'll, I'll give you an example of that. Um, and I'll, and I'll backtrack to the main part of the story about six years ago, I was giving a presentation and it was about my career. And my brother came downstairs. I was in New York and I was visiting and he came downstairs. It was my old report cards, right? So, which is brutal to think about my old report cards. Um, Cause I figured I learned that I graduated from high school on the last day before graduation. So that gives you a preview of what my <laughs> school life was like, but he showed me this one report card. It was this green sterile piece of paper and it was 80 marks. It was either excellent, satisfactory, or needs improvement. And out of 80 marks, there wasn't one excellent, not one. This was fourth grade. And what she wrote was, you know, Vincent's a smart boy, blah, 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 but he doesn't want to read what we're reading. He only wants to read about sports, is, is what she wrote on there. And the ironic part about it was, so I, I felt so awful that day. I felt like I realized at that point, I'm not going to be held in high regard at this school or any other school. I knew that day. But when I read the, that report card 30 years later, it was ironic because it was literally the day, it was an hour and a half before I was giving a presentation in New York about my career as a sports photographer for the last 20 years, how I traveled around the country shooting everything you can imagine, World Series, Super Bowl, NHL Finals, everything you can imagine, 140 different stadiums, living the dream, being on the field shooting this, like right next to my heroes. And she basically said, he's not excellent at anything because he cares about sports. But yet, I wound up having a career where you couldn't be any closer than I was to being a professional athlete. So I thought that was pretty ironic. That is ironic. And not only like talk about excellence, right? Because I've seen some of your, your, your photos and, and they are excellent. You are excellent at your craft, right? And simultaneously, you are photographing athletes who are pursuing their excellence, right? They are mm -hmm. pursuing the, the most excellent expression of their natural abilities and gifts. And and you did the same thing. So it's so funny. We get we get caught up in this box of what something means, right? What excellence means. I in, mm -hmm. in fact, it's funny you mentioned the report cards because I was in our our garage and we have this file cabinet that my parents had put a bunch of stuff in years and years and years ago. And I was in, in this file cabinet, like I'm like, what's in here? You know, so I was like looking through this old file cabinet. And I found all kinds of stuff like Christmas letters that my parents wrote to people, to family and friends in 1989, you know, which I mean, like just crazy stuff and drum roll, please report cards, you know, mm -hmm. showing my, my, my lack of brilliance or excellence as a student as well. You know, in fact, you know, letters that were recommendations in high school that I repeat certain classes and whatnot, you know, and we get so caught up in these these marks and these grades and and the impact that they have and i think i agree with you that that is a massive problem in the educational system that that so much of our future is determined by one letter not only a letter but but think about it exactly like a test i can't remember the last time i took a test Right. You know, I can't remember last time somebody paid me, asked me to take a test. Mm -hmm. But we spend the first 12 years taking tests. And I'm like, I don't want to get into the school system too much. But I'm like, it does not prepare. It didn't prepare me. It prepared me to be angry. It prepared yeah. me to get, I, I remember at 17 years old when everybody had their kind. I went, you know, I went to a good high school in Long Island, New York. 
And everybody was going to the Ivy League schools. I was not. And I didn't know where I was going. And, and a friend of mine was like, what are you going to do? And I, and I remember confidently, and I don't know why I was so confident, but I said, I'm not sure, but I'm going to figure something out. And I was excited about that. But I, didn't, it wasn't, I just knew it wasn't this. And I think there are a lot of people in that boat. This is not for them. And when you talk about the entrepreneur, the impact entrepreneur, that's a lot of us are in that boat because we're not rule followers. We want to create our own thing. Now, if I want to create my own thing, how am I going to do that following your rules? And especially, I had very little like, you're a teacher. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be in a school. I don't want to go to a school every day. Like, so I'm learning from somebody who's doing something that I don't want to do, which is mm-hmm. follow directions. Mm-hmm. Like, so none of it made sense to me. So when you are, are in, in high school, you are developing your idea of what excellence is, what greatness is. You're, you're reconciling that with other people's expectations on you that don't align with what you know to be true internally, kind of that internal guide. Yeah. And yet you're also probably, if you're like me, you're looking out at, at, to, to, to try to find examples of people that are, are living out what you know to be true internally. So when you were in high school or even in, maybe in your early college years, who defined greatness for you? So you and I were different people. You were so far ahead of me than, than I was. I, never, I don't think I used the word greatness or excellence in anything until I was probably 22. That, that was not something that I ever even thought about. I was like survival. I really was. I was like, you know, I got out of college. I dropped out five or six times to college. I was arrested when I was 18 years old for stealing. I almost got arrested again for stealing. I, had, I, had I almost got arrested again and I had a dream that I got caught again. Right? And so at this point, we were... You know, all my friends, everyone with school was graduating college. Excellence never crept in for me at that point. So it's mm. like, there's, there's a disconnect for me because I don't think I ever thought like that. I don't think it ever came into my mind to be excellent in anything. The people I hung around with weren't striving for excellence. They were striving for beer and drugs or whatever it was that, you know, that, it was, that was going on at that point. It wasn't about being great at anything. So I didn't know that world. And um, so that was a real big hurdle for me to start getting, you know, even start thinking that way that I could be good at anything because I had not been good at anything. When did you pick up a camera for the first time? Um, I, for real, that, that's what happened. That's what like literally that it was a night I was working at a drive. So I'm a 22 year old loser working at a convenience store and I was overcharging customers and I made more money doing that than I did from the money I made at my job. I was good at that. Like I would make a hundred dollars a night, you know, just like, Charging 50 cents more than what this is literally what I did. And some other people at my job, I made a lot of money. Like I had a, I had drawers of money in my house where my friends would come over and just open up and just take what they wanted, like a drug dealer without the drugs. That's, that's what it was like. And, and I didn't know what to do with the cash. So I just piled it in. I'm like, you want to go get something to eat? Just take some money. Go ahead. And what happened was I woke up in that same room right next to that dresser in a dead sweat at like four, two o'clock in the morning, 22 years old. And I'm like, what? I, I, I literally, there's a woman that came through the convenience store caught me stealing from her. And she, and she said, I got you. I still remember her face. She said, I got you. And I woke up in a dead sweat. I was like, oh my God. And I went downstairs and I was like, what am I doing with my life? I mean, it was the first time I ever asked that question. First time in my life, first time I worried about it. When everybody else was worried about it, I wasn't. And that was the first time. My dad came downstairs. And I didn't have a good relationship with my dad. And as you can imagine why, you know, from everything I'm telling you so far. And he basically came downstairs like two o'clock in the morning. And I told him, I said, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I have no clue. I'm scared. And he nonchalantly within a minute and a half said, well, you like 
traveling. You like taking pictures. I had a point and shoot camera. He goes, you love sports. Why don't you become a photographer? You can be a sports photographer. That literally was it. And I remember saying, that sounds awesome, but I'm going to fail. I f- failed at everything I've ever tried. You know, six majors in, in college, five majors and, and being fired from jobs and being terrible in high school. And, but I said to myself, I'm going to do this. I'm going to fail, but at least I'm finally going to fail at something cool. Because everything else was criminal justice or things <laughs> I didn't want. This sounded cool. So at least I could say I tried to be a photographer. That literally was my motivation. It was May of 1995. I'm going to try. I'm going to fail at something cool. Is what I was. So I went and I bought a camera and I signed up for a community college class, Nassau Community College in in on Long Island. And the thing was, I had absolutely nothing to lose. There was absolutely no expectations of my life from anybody. And mm-hmm. what that gave me was total freedom. I was mm-hmm. like, I'm going to do this. I can't let anybody down. It's not like I have to, not like I am making you know 108 grand as an attorney or as, a, as like an accountant, and now I can't leave this job to be a photographer. Like nobody expected anything from me. I didn't have a wife, didn't have kids. So I, for the first time in my life, I tried. And every night I would buy a ticket to a Mets game or a Yankees game, and I would buy, you know, I would sneak down to the front row because I was sneaky like that. I learned to be sneaky, and I would ask the photographers questions. I used it for good now. I asked them what kind of film they were using, what kind of cameras. How do I get an internship? What about this picture? I would bring photographs and you know, I would have them critique it in between innings. Like I was that annoying. Within a year, I got an internship for free for the Bruce Bennett Studios, which was team photographer for the National Hockey League, then the World Wrestling Federation, the Associated Press. It just kept going and going and going. And that's how it started. When did you intentionally engage? So you, you let, me, let me back up for a second. So you get the camera mm-hmm. and you start going to these games. And you start asking these questions. At that point, were you intentionally engaged in the process of learning? Did you were you aware that you were learning? Do you, do you know what I mean? Oh, you mean the photography side of it or the life yeah, side of it? The, the the photography side. Oh yeah, yeah. I was a student. This is this is the first time I actually like learning. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to learn all the crap in school. I didn't mm-hmm. want to learn. If I want geography, I'm going to go for a road trip. I don't want to see it in a book. Mm-hmm. Right? I didn't care. This was like, I want to learn this. I want to become the best at this. That was the first time that I was like, I want to become great at this. Because I saw the reward. I saw what can happen if I did. I never saw it before. Because I didn't want what they were selling. I didn't want a job. Who, who became your mentor as a, as a photographer in the sports arena? Oh, tons of people. Um, Paul Bearswell, who most people don't know. He was a photographer for Newsday, Newsday in New York. Um, he's a very quiet guy, very humble guy, but an incredible photographer. He's the nicest guy you'll ever meet, and had this, you know big beard, just really kind of quiet. But and, and he was my idol, you know. He, so I'd see his pictures every day. Just imagine you meet somebody, and every day now you get to see their work because it's delivered to your door. But, oh my god, he was at the World Series. He was at the Super Bowl. Look at that picture. So I'd watch it. So I would bring my pictures, and then when he started giving me some really good feedback, I'm like, wait a second. If if he thinks this is good, I actually think I could I could do this. So he mm-hmm. was the first person that really was like, you know, and he wasn't, he wasn't like kissing my butt, like, oh yeah, go ahead and do it. He was like, he told me the downsides and then he told me when I didn't do well, but he told me when I did do well and that, that mattered more. So I was like, okay, that, that was, that was, there was, there was, I had a lot of mentors. I had a lot of people that, and that was the whole thing is like, I didn't realize it then, but how the generosity of others is what really contributed to my success. And I don't think I realized that for another 20 years. And that's now just everything that I want to teach. 
Have you picked up your copy or two or a bazillion of Master the Key? Because let me tell you, things are happening with this book. This book is making waves and making an impact and people are responding to it in a tremendous way. Nicholas writes on Amazon in the Amazon reviews that Master the Key is an extremely well-written book. I always find stories and parables to be the best way to teach life's lessons. Mike's ability to teach us a number of those lessons through the main character, Steve, really resonated with me. In the foreword, Kevin Hall says the following, Mike has written a story we can all relate to because in some way, it's all of our story. There's a little bit of all of us weaved into each of the characters. But as the main character soon realizes and his mentors are quick to remind him of, Personal transformation is exactly that, personal. I couldn't agree more. Mike, thank you for writing this book. I believe it has the ability to touch those that are doing great things but wanting to take their life to the next level, but also for those that need a little pick-me-up and a direction of how to move forward. Your story and podcast are ever so inspiring. Nicholas, you are the man. Thank you so much for this review for your support, your encouragement, and for sharing the master, the key message. If you have not picked up a copy, hit pause, head over to Amazon, and resolve that gap right now. Pick up yourself a copy of Master the Key, a story to free your potential, find meaning, and live life on purpose. Pick up one for your friends and family as well. And then when you are done reading this transformational book, head back to Amazon and let me know what your thoughts are by writing a review, just an honest review of any length and a virtual high five and hug to you. Now back to the show. How did you go about developing your instincts? Because I think that regardless of what industry or business anybody is in, developing an instinct to see something good, to know something good, to to anticipate a moment is a skill that can be that I think some people are naturally born with, but it's also mm-hmm. a skill I think that people can can develop to a certain degree. So how did you develop your instinct? Because certainly being able to capture moments like you have is is instinctual. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a great question. I actually just talked to my friend Kent Carfagno about this this weekend about reading the room. Like how how important it is to be able to understand to read the room. You know those people that are clueless? Like everything could be going on. Like, how do you not see that going on? Mm-hmm. Like, that's mm-hmm. being able to read the room, read between the lines. And I think I've always been, I've always studied people. I love people. I love just seeing how people respond. So I can tell, you know, when somebody like they'll tell me they're good, but they're not. And you just know that. And like, you know, even with even with text, everything's okay. Like, I know it's not okay because it's because it's okay. You could just tell by the way that they said it. So I think I've always studied people. I think I've always been very in tune to people's responses and what. You know what they're going through and what they're struggling with. And I think you could see that with photography. You can see, like, you have to. What I would say to be a great photojournalist is you need to know what's going to happen three seconds before it happens, mm-hmm. and that you know you can transfer that to life afterwards. You could transfer that to any way, but if you know that when they do this, this is about to happen, you know, it's like the power of you know the power of repetition. People are like saying all the time, like, "Oh, that was an incredible picture, once in a lifetime." Picture. No, I've seen them do that before. I've just want. I have to wait and watch, and you'd be surprised how repetitive things are that you think are once in a lifetime. And when you could learn that, you could learn that. I mean, it becomes a superpower because you could read it in people as well when you talk to them in the same way. So I think photography really helped me 
hone that in terms of being able to read the room. What was your big break moment where where you took a picture and it it was you know praised and published and what what did you maybe maybe it didn't even have to be in a big in a big medium maybe it was just like a moment where you're like this is the best picture I've ever taken. It was very early. I mean, I can tell you like there's been there's been many of those. You know, when I got a two-page spread in Sports Illustrated about five years ago for, for Sidney Crosby, that just elevated everything, right? Um, five or six years ago. But in the very beginning, it was right around that time that we're talking. This was my big break moment. And it, you know, you realize the help of others. Everybody's like, oh, I'm self-made. And for so long I thought I was. I'm like, no, it's all it's, it's the Paul Bear as well and the Jim Jordans, these people that nobody's ever heard of. You know, the unexpected teachers, not the people, not Mr. Carter in high school that made fun of me for reading a book about business when I was 17, right? He's my teacher. It was my real teachers, my unexpected teachers like Paul and like this guy, Jim Jordan. So my big break, I didn't even know you're going to ask me this, but it's, it's a perfect question. I took off from... So, I, so a year into this, I'm shooting to these different places and I'm, I'm, working at a, I'm working at a restaurant as a waiter and I'm working at a photo lab place developing film to try to make money to pay for photography because nobody was paying me for photography yet. So I took two weeks off and I drove. I flew from New York to Chicago, and I drove around the Midwest. I said, "I want to go to as many stadiums as I can." So I spent eight or nine days driving from Chicago down south, all the way down to Nashville, back around to St. Louis, and up back to Chicago. Now, the last night I was actually in Milwaukee, and I was like, I could either go down to Chicago and go to an Elton John concert because that was going on the next night, or I can go up to Green Bay and the Packers are playing. I'd never been to Lambeau Field. It was Brett Favre's. His first MVP season, so like 1995. I was like, well, I've never been to Lambo, so I'm going to go up there. I don't have a ticket. I don't have a pass. I don't have anything, but I'm going to go. I drove up there. There were no tickets sold out. And I found, and this is just my luck. I kind of just works out. I found a guy and his wife didn't want to go because it was supposed to rain that night. She sold it to me for $20. And like I always learned, get to the front row and get there early. That was my motto. That was my mission. So I'm in the front row and I'm shooting pictures. And some guy walks up to me from the field. And he goes, are you taking pictures? And I said, yeah, I'm just here. You know, I have my hat on backwards. And he goes, can you help me out? I said, what do you need? And he said, my assistant didn't show up tonight. I need somebody to change my film for me on the field. So are you kidding? I said, of course. He opens up the gate, almost like, like from heaven, this gate right in front of me just opens up. He puts a press pass around my neck. And I am now a photographer. That quickly. And he goes, you can do all you want. Take any of the pictures you want. Just once a quarter, you got to change my film for me. And you're good to go. Within five minutes, I'm in the huddle with the Packers and Brett Favre. I got a picture of Brett Favre looking at me. And he's smiling because I look like a dope. I got a t-shirt, my hat on backwards. I was not prepared to be in the media that day. And so I'm all over. I'm going crazy. It's like the greatest thing. This is my dream, right? So, and tell me if I'm going too long. I just get excited about the no, story. No, keep going. Um, so midway through the second quarter, I am underneath the goalpost. And the Packers are driving. And I'm like, I'm just looking around. Like, this is just taking it all in. And I see Jim. Jim Jordan, he works for NFL, NFL Films. And he waves me over to the corner. So I come running over to the corner. And I thought I did something wrong. I thought I broke a rule or something. And he goes, no, kneel down right here. So okay. So the next play, Brett, Brett Favre rolls out. Rolls out to his right, right near me. Tosses a pass to, I think it was Dorsey Levins from the Packers. Runs in right in front of me for a touchdown. And Mark Chimura from the Packers gives a big bear hug. And I get like the best picture I've ever shot right in front of me. And I'm like, what just happened? And he's wa- Jim is walking away from me. I could still see him walking away. He turned his head and he just winked at me. 
And I'm like, now this is now something really weird's going on. So I ran over to him and I, I grabbed him underneath the goalpost. And I said, what just happened? And he took his headset off and he goes, he goes, we've got Brett Favre mic'd because we're doing a TV show about him. And I knew where the play was going and I wanted to get you a good shot. And I remember him walking past me and me staring at the scoreboard. And I'm like, what world am I living in right now? And, and, and so the rest of so that game, I literally like, I was going to go to the, I was gonna, we, we finished it out. I was going to go to the press conference. I didn't know if I could. And, and Jim said, you're NFL films. You can go wherever you want tonight. So I went to the press conference and it was Mike Holmgren. And the, the press guy from the Packers comes up to me because obviously I don't look professional. He snaps my press pass off my neck. He goes, who are you with? I said, NFL films. He takes it away. Comes back, he goes, oh, you're okay. He let me stay. He never gave me the press pass back, though. In all these years, it's the only press pass I don't have. So I'm still angry about that. He didn't give me my press pass back. So being that as I went to leave the stadium, literally the locker room emptied out into the, into the parking lot. One wall is the Packers getting you know, iced up. The other wall are people par- partying and tailgating. I walked out the door and I said, I'm done being out here. I want to be in there. That's, where I'm, that's, that's literally when my career started, like that night. Wow, what an amazing story. I mean, oh man, I just wrote an article about the game of chance. And it's so interesting. Like you, you've got it. We the only thing that goes the way that we quote unquote planned it at, at, in any day is the time that we set our alarm to go off. That's about it. Everything else is mm-hmm. left how we respond to the pinging of life, the demands of life, you know. The opportunity to, I mean, to go to the Elton John concert or the or the Green Bay Packers game, and like that's that decision, yep, alters the trajectory, right? Alters the story, changes thing, and maybe, maybe you, you would have come full circle and at some point had another opportunity to to do what you were able to do that one night, but you would never know, and I would never know. Would not have the story, even not getting on the plane to go to Chicago. It's right. like we just don't we don't take the chance. Like just we, I want to read your article because we just, and I hope it's something. But we don't take the chance enough to do what we really want we to do. Don't we don't like? There's a story. So um, it actually, I wrote this article, and then um, we actually submitted it to Opt- Optimal Living Daily, which is a like a personal development podcast and they actually read articles and so they it's instead of being published it's it's going to actually be read on this oh, wow. show which is a huge following but so one of the stories that I I recounted in there is is this guy named Alex Boyer and he's a a music performer he's a performer he's a he's he um originally he, his parents are from Nigeria he is originally from Nigeria himself but was basically brought up in the UK and you know he had this dream of being a performer and you know he was one time he was in the uk he was he was eating trash out of a, a trash can huh. and this man that he only saw once and never saw again came up to him and slapped the hamburger which he was eating from the trash can out of his hand and said you're better than that you know keep moving basically you know it was the first and only time that he saw him and alex was left with the choice at that point right respond to that opportunity to that man's belief in him or pick up that that hamburger from the trash and keep eating mm. which one do you want right do you want to keep eating from the trash can 
or do you want to keep eat or do you want to eat from the truth that somebody spoke to you right and it, it, you know it, it was a, a it was a life altering moment for him and now his music videos that he's produced or been part of uh, that have been on YouTube largely have been cumulatively viewed almost half a billion times That's amazing oh my goodness what a um, story yeah and then there's Christmas Abbott, who is a CrossFit fitness celebrity, right? She was, she grew up dirt poor in Virginia and she was so like out of shape and unhealthy that when she graduated high school, she went to go enlist in the army, but they turned her down. And so she ended up be- becoming a military contractor and going, do- going to do basically laundry for the, the, the military forces in Iraq. When one time, while she was on this base doing laundry, the the base was attacked by a, by a mortars, and she had this kind of come to Jesus moment where she was like, "What the heck am I doing with my life? I'm better than this. I'm worth more than this. I keep giving myself away and allowing myself to be used, and I need to be I need to take control of my life." Right. So the this this mortar attack, she was like, "I might die if I survive this. I cannot." continue living this way. I have to change my life. And so fast forward to today, she's this you know, multi-millionaire, super successful uh, entrepreneur in the fitness space, right? It's all about how we respond to these moments of invitation, just like one that you had when that stranger came to you and said, hey, can you change my film? Yes. <laughs> what, what, what if I said no? What if I was yeah. scared? We have to no. we have to have the courage to say yes. You know, like what's the worst thing that can happen in a situation like that? And I'll tell you, and, and there's another funny part of that. It's not even, not even in terms of saying no, but being prepared. Literally, right next to me, and I didn't even tell this part was a family that I've been talking to for about ten minutes. And the dad had a camera. And the dad was into photography as well. Well, the dad was leaned over and he was eating something at the time. So he put his camera down, went to go eat some food. I had my camera around my neck. I was shooting. Jim saw me, not him. So what would have happened if he was shooting and not eating? <laughs> he might have asked him. I might not have even had the opportunity. You never know. But the more... So I learned then, and even early on, like I need to put myself in that position, get myself in a position as, I, as much as I possibly could, and things happen. And connections happen. And you know, networks grow. Relationships grow. And the funny thing about that story is, is at the end of it, so I got these two great pictures from this game. And two years later, a year and a half later, when I went to go get an internship at Newsday, my hometown newspaper, where Paul Bearswell, my, you know, my idol, worked at, I met the director of photography, brought my portfolio in. And the first two pictures in that portfolio were from that game. That's what got me the internship. Three months later, they assigned me to a Giants game at Giants Stadium. Guess who was on the field at Giants Stadium? Jim Jordan. So I, I see him. I say, you don't remember? He goes, of course I remember you. He goes, holy crap. Like, you're doing this. like You made this a career. Every time I'd see him, we shot a Super Bowl together. He goes, Vince, every time I talk to somebody, I tell your story. I tell the story about that. And it may, he goes, I love it because he did something out of the goodness that he needed help, but he helped somebody. And that help actually turned my life around. And he mm. gets to like see the impact of what he did. So every time he saw me on the field, that was, that was a victory. So he, oh, I mean, every man. time I'd see him, he'd, he'd tell the same story. Dude. You just, I just got, I just got like the chills a little bit because 
you just struck a chord with me that I think is so... I want to talk about help for a second because Mm -hmm. I think there's this arrogant attitude in the entrepreneurial world when it comes to offering to to help people or or responding when people offer to help, right? Mm -hmm. And and I'll I'll give you an like this is a perfect example because that guy he saw you with a camera, but he didn't really know what your abilities were, right? He he didn't really. I mean. You know, he had never he seen it. Your, and he and he didn't even ask you, like, can I mean he he just like, hey, you have two hands that you can yep. swap my film out, basically, right? Yep. You you have the the minimum ability to do this, right? He yep. didn't even ask you, he didn't interview you, like he just asked you if you would help him, right? Yep. I think that there's this this attitude, I, and I think the entrepreneurial world needs to learn from that because there's this attitude right now in the entrepreneurial world where someone if somebody says if i if i don't know you Vince but i've ex- i've seen what you're doing and i believe in your mission and i want to help Vince like i i could reach out and i could say hey Vincent you know i love what you're doing i'd love to help you you know the the attitude today in the entrepreneurial world is that when somebody reaches out and offers to help people get annoyed about it there, I, I've been witnessing and and I've experienced. I've reached out to people who know I have a platform, who know I have a microphone, a podcast, or whatever, and I say, "Hey, I would love to help you," and they respond back with a snarky little phrase. I have no idea how you can help me, you know. Hmm. Like, and I think it's just so arrogant. Yeah, yeah. Oh, one thing I've learned in this, and it's I don't know if it's much, but I would, you know. You know, you know what it's like. It's it's a it's a fine line. You want to help people, and then people need it. And who do you help, and who do you not help? And I kind of just came to a line of, you can't help people that don't want to be helped. And right. once I once I learned that, all that stuff went away. So it's kind of like I'll reach if somebody's going to do that. That's wonderful. That, that, then go ahead, do your thing. But I used to get upset by that type of stuff. I used to get bothered by like I would have people come to me looking for help, but they didn't want to do it. And and I know there's like this, people feel this obligation, like, but you know, it's my brother-in-law. If they don't want to be helped, then it's not. I can't do anything because yeah. a relationship can only go as far as the other person is willing to go. And if they don't want to go there, then you're not going to go any further. You're going to bang your head against the wall. So yeah, I think there's I think there's a lot to that. I just try to surround myself with with great people and generous people. That's that's the key for me and my community. And what I do is like I want to. I'm a selfish person the way that I've been a good part of my life. And I didn't like it. And it wound up getting me a lot of the things that I wanted, especially in the photography world. It's a, hey, I got to get a shot. This is not about teamwork. This is about, I got to get the shot and I got to beat you. And I didn't like that, even though I got great stories from it. So I had to turn around and I needed to learn what it's like to be generous. Seth Godin has taught me this more than anybody in terms of generosity. And that's where I go now. It's like I try to, like, I'm not asking them for, like, I want to promote other people's stuff. I want to help other people get where they want to get to. Not whether they asked or not, a lot of times, and sometimes people don't want it, but you'll see those people that say that type of response, you're not going to wind up hanging around with them very long because it's just not going to fit you. Yeah. How long have you collaborated with Seth? Did you join his, like, a mastermind group of his or something? No, it's, it's, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. I'm. I'm just like 
I am somebody who just studies him, right? And I mean, speaking of these connections, right? It, and it goes back to this. I was going to a live Q&A with him a couple of years ago, four or five years ago. And I was shooting the Giants-Cowboys game two days after it, the day after it. And I just emailed him and I said, you know, you don't know me from anything. And I, but, you know, I've been, I've been an admirer of your work. You know, it's changed my life. I've been reading his book since I started business 2005, um, 2004. And I just said, you know, I do these things. I, get, I can get assistance to be on the field with me. And I know you're not a sports fan. I, know, I knew him well enough. But I said, I just wanted to offer you this opportunity. You know, if you wanted to be an assistant at the Giants, you know, to New York the next day. And he emailed me back like 10 minutes later. And he was like, he goes, thank you so much. So generous of you. But I already have plans that day. So I saw him the next day. And I wasn't sure if it was like an automated response or a VA. And I, I kind of mentioned it. He goes, yeah, he emailed you back. I'm like, oh, yeah, you did. So it was, it was him. And I'm like, so I asked him a question that day that really changed my life for my book, even in terms of giving away the book. He said, I said, what mistake am I making now that I wish three years from now I wouldn't have made? And he gave me the best answer. He said, you will have wished that you didn't count on your publisher to promote the book for you. And you will have wished that you gave the book or got the book into 10,000 people's hands. And I took that to heart. So I started giving away PDF copies. I mean, it got lots of reviews. It really launched the book. He wound up endorsing the book. Um, he wound up coming on you know, my mastermind. We're doing a year-long dive into his new book, This Is Marketing. So we do two calls a month on that. So he, got the, he kicked it off with us, gave, gave, a, gave a Q&A with our mastermind back in January. And in Jan in last year, I went to one of his events to give him the book because we went on a thank you tour. I didn't do a book tour. What we did was we drove around the country as a family. We homeschool and just giving books to people that helped us. You know, John Lee Dumas and Pat Flynn and people in the group and Seth. And he literally on stage on the taping of Behind the Brand, I went to ask a question. This is Seth and this is generosity right here. He kept the book. He kept it under his chair when I gave it to him. I didn't think about it, except I saw it and I took a picture. I'm like, oh, cool. The book's underneath Seth's chair. That's how far I thought it would go. When I went to raise my hand, he said, Vincent, he goes, tell us about your new book. And I'm like, no, that's not what I'm here for. He goes, I know. I'm just trying to get you some product placement. And I was <laughs> like, oh my God. Like, Who does that? I mean, he does not need... He's now writing his 19th best-selling book. There was nothing for him to gain from doing that except being generous. And... You know, from that moment on, I was like, that's who I want to be. That's what I want to turn into because you, you mm -hmm. measure somebody by what, how they are to you when they can't do anything for you. Right. So he, that's who he is. So, but the thing is, they like, there's no publicity that comes from that. I've told that story over and over again in my, when I give speeches because, and, and so I would promote him to the end because that's who he is as a person in terms of generous. So yes. that's just, you know, so I don't know how you consider it. A friendship, a acquaintance, or whatever it is, but he's just been such a, a role model in my uh, in my life. Yeah, we need more authentically real, generous people in this world, not just people who say that they're generous and then when they when it comes to actually being generous or not. You know, I mean, there's, exactly. there's a lot of there's a lot of that in this world. There's you a, know, there's unfortunately there's a lot of that. It, yeah, it's it's very easy. It's very easy for me to say it right now, Mike. It's very easy for yeah. me to come across. Oh, I'm generous on your show, and then I'm not. And <laughs> the point is, what do you do when you're not being recorded? Well, because at some point, people will find. I found out the truth about some people during my book launch who, you know, said that they would act generously and and did and were not. You know, in fact, <laughs> they were very opposite, which was which was interesting. You know, it was like, oh man, it, it actually. It stung a little bit because I felt bad for them, you know. Like I felt mm -hmm. bad, like wow, you know, like this is some some somebody bigger than me is going to find out about who you really are, and 
it's not going to be good for you. And I feel for you, you know, something, something's deeper there. Right. And, and I learned, you know, Mike, I learned this in my, in my sports career, you know, don't get too close to your heroes and, and right. Because you learn these things. And, you know, I remember being a team photographer for the New York Rangers, my favorite team. I grew up, I was there when they won the Stanley cup and I'm photographing them and the Islanders, the team that I hate, right. They're the Islanders. I'm a Ranger fan. Well, it turned out that the Islanders guys were a lot nicer than the Rangers guys were. So I'm like, damn, like, I don't want you guys to be nice. I want them to be nice. I want you to be the jerks. They were actually the people we liked hanging out with, not, not my team. This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group, a full-service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the Impact Entrepreneur told you to call. You've started this career as a professional photographer. You're getting traction. You're, you're... You're actually, your dreams are coming true. Your your passion for sports yep. is now aligned with your giftedness and things are happening. But certainly there are still moments throughout your career where you have to pivot. Things didn't go as planned. What is What is an instant or a moment that pushed you to your edge the hardest maybe in your in your life or your career and and how did you draw courage to move forward oh that's a great question i mean there's there's many many of them i think in terms of courage to move forward in terms of growth i i went through a physical thing i went through a my back went out i went it was it was a sciatic nerve thing and went down my i couldn't move so i wound up a couple of years ago shooting a game in pittsburgh and I literally couldn't move, couldn't walk more than a couple steps without my leg feeling like it was going to blow up. I know we're, you know, spent a lot of time, so I don't want to go too deep into it. But I could, I mean, everything went wrong. I brought the wrong cameras. I didn't have batteries with me because I, was, I wasn't sleeping. And everything went wrong. I wound up borrowing a battery so I could shoot this game. I was grunting the entire, I couldn't do it. And my dream was always to have a picture in Sports Illustrated. It was my dream 18 years into my career, not thinking about it this day. Everything was going wrong. This was the first time I'm ever shooting for this. Second time I'm shooting for this major organization. I'm going to wind up losing the gig because I can't even shoot the game because I don't have cameras or batteries to do it. Wound up borrowing it. Wound up getting it done. Getting the winning goals even at the end of the game. But I'm in so much pain that I don't... I can't get up. So all the other photographers are leaving to go transmit. I sat there. And at that point, they announced the, the three stars of the game. And one of them was Sidney Crosby. He was the number one star in Pittsburgh. He's the best player in the league at that point. And I get a picture of him like waving his stick in the air, like house lights are down. It's just spotlights. A great moment. Shoot it, go back, transmit it. Don't think anything of it. Now, I would never have shot that picture if I wasn't in so much pain. It never. I would have been gone. I would have been transmitting already. Well, turns out I transmit that picture. I get my health together. I get better health wise. I'm starting to move again. I'm able to do it. Play with the kids. I'm in the backyard playing hockey with the kids, and I get a email from Bruce Bennett, who's the head of this. You know, Getty Images, where I was shooting for. And he says, Congratulations. I'm like, For what? And he goes, You got a two page spread in Sports Illustrated. I'm like, Really? For what picture? It was that picture. It was that picture of Crosby. And I was like, 
that was just the craziest moment because in the absolute worst I've ever, ever been, the worst I've ever felt was the moment that I got the greatest, one of the greatest careers of my highlight, one of the greatest highlights of my career right there that I'd always wanted since I was a kid. I was, mm. I, I liked Sports Illustrated. That was my favorite magazine. That's literally the magazine the woman talked about in my report card. That's what I wrote. And I get that a two-page is... spread. Oh, so. Amazing. Amazing. The full, the full circle nature of that and, and also the combination of the, the pain that you were experiencing and the glory simultaneously converging. That's like the stuff of movies, you know? <laughs> it, 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 but it makes you realize there's always, there's always a lesson and there's always a story that goes with it. So what prompted you to, to start teaching other people? Because you could have just, just continued just doing what you're doing. I mean, what gave you the, the motivation, the inspiration, the audacity to become an author and a speaker and a teacher and a, and a leader when you could have just continued doing what you were doing and, and living life and having fun and taking beautiful pictures and traveling and doing all of those things? No, it's a great question. It's because I, I get bored, right? And I want to try something different. And I'm like, I want, I want as many things. I want to say I've done as many things as I possibly can. So you know, now speaking, okay, I want to speak on like, okay, now I want to try that. I want to, I'm not an author. I mean, I didn't even pass English class. Like, who am I to write a book? Right? I'm, I'm, I'm writing my book. I didn't hire anybody to do it. I wrote every word in that book. And I'm like, that's, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go write a book. And again, it, it, it came, came back to that first thing. I'm going to probably fail, but at least I'm going to fail at something cool. So that, that happened right at the same time. And it really came down to this. And it's a great question you asked because it really is a turning point. We turned our sports photography into a wedding and corporate business. That did really well. Did really well for many years. And I could almost sleepwalk through it and still make good money and not work that much. So I was kind of like, yeah, what's next? I, I was already feeling it. And I remember you know, all these other photographers are asking me, how'd you do this? Like, that's when I started writing the book. Like, everybody else is struggling. How are you guys doing this? You, you don't even have to work that much, but you do good with money. You travel, blah, blah, blah. You do the work. So I'm like, okay, I probably should write a book about this. And my friend David Burke said to me, he goes, you have an obligation to write this book. I was like, okay, okay, I'm taking your word for that. So I started writing it, but around that same time, I was at a wedding and I'll never forget this. I remember it was a really fancy place and I'm sitting with the DJ. And again, he's, he's bad with money. He's bad with his business. A lot of artists are bad with their business. They, don't, they know the art. They don't know the business side. And I studied the business side after I studied the art side. And I remember coaching him at dinner and I'm like into the veal or whatever we're eating. And I'm like, I'm not even paying attention to what I'm eating. I'm just, I'm, I'm lined up talking to him about these different things. And then he goes, I got I to gotta run. I got to turn the music on. And he comes back. And then he goes, okay, we got to start. We got to start the reception now. You know, They're going to cut the cake. They're going to do the dancing. And I remember thinking at that moment, I don't want to go out there. I want to stay here. I want to keep doing this. I don't want to do that. And I went out and I shot the reception. And I felt like a monkey. I felt like just a vendor. I felt like nobody wanted to hear what I had to say. I felt like I was just there to shoot pictures. And I remember I came home to my wife and I said, I'm done. I'm done doing this. And she's like, what do you mean? Like, I, I, gotta, I gotta do something different. I, gotta move. I like this, where this is going. I like what I did tonight with the, with the DJ. I want to do more of that. And I have the best wife in the world. And she's like, okay, how do we figure it out? And that just, you know, we have a whole nother, a whole nother interview we could do about that, that part, about how that started. And then, uh, so that, that's where I got the audacity to do it. I just, I just got to the point where I'm like, I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm going to do this. And I'm not going to, you know, it's the Green Bay thing. I'm going to go. I'm going to go and I'm going to see what happens. You've said this a couple of times, I'm going to fail at something cool. So 
Was that kind of like a fear hack for you? Like you're like, you know what? I I know almost like I know I'm going to fail, but at least I'm going to fail doing something cool. So you it, it it mitigated the fear element. Totally, absolutely. Because what it did was, I'm not doing anything that's not cool. I'm not going to do anything in my life that I don't want to do anymore. And I've you know you earn that over time. And now I truly believe you have to keep earning it every day to keep it going. But mm-hmm. I say no. Everybody's like, I'll say yes to everything. Baloney. I say no to tons of stuff. I, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to wear a tie. Not what I want to do. I don't want to go into an office. I, I want to be with my kids. You know, so we homeschool our kids. I want to be here with them for breakfast. I want to be here with them for lunch. I want to be able to go and tra- we, we spent four months on the road this winter. I want to do what we want to do, but I want to help. My job is to help people do this for themselves. So mm-hmm. that's where I get all my passion from. So I don't really even shoot anymore. Last year and a half, we basically killed our photography business. I'm like, I'm done. Now, I'll still shoot sports. I'll still do, you know, if somebody comes with a big assignment, I'll still do it, but it's not my career. And everybody kind of finds that just bizarre. I'm like, no, because, you know, I want a rich, full life doing what I want to do when I want to do it. How did you feel about that emotionally? Like, because all of this stuff, you know, it's, it's obvious, it's definitely an impact moment, a pivot point, and it's starting a new line, you know, but was it, was it emotional to, to kind of make that decision? No, I was, I was, I'm, I'm ready. Let's go. What's the next thing? What's the next hmm. challenge? Let's go. And uh, I, I like that. Like what? Here's, that's why I don't follow formulas. That's why I don't want to know. I don't want to know the plan. If you mm-hmm. give me the seven step plan, I'm going to throw it out the window. I want to make my own plan. So yeah. I, don't, I don't follow here. I'll give you the formula to getting the best. I don't care about the formula. I want to do it. And yeah. I want to because that's how I grow. Yeah, it's not by totally. following somebody else. It's by yeah. figuring it out. I've I've done everything wrong with my book according to how the quote unquote formula. You know, <laughs> good, um, good for you. Congratulations. I have no back end. I have nothing to funnel people into right now. I mean, like you know, it's just it's all for me. It was all about. I had this message that I I believe that I believe is transformational, and I told it in this powerful story format. And I needed to get it out into the world as which, soon as possible. Which I still need to read, by the way. So th- I'm buying it today. I'm buying okay. it today. I promise I, you. I appreciate, um, appreciate that. No, and, and, but I saw, you know, you know, we're friends with a lot of people on social media. I'm seeing all the reviews of the people, what people are talking about. it. I'm like, this has, you're already, and you're, do, you're not doing it the wrong way. You're doing it the right way. And it's funny. I, was, I think, you know, Larry Hagner, Good Dad Project. Yeah, oh, um, yeah totally. And I was on his podcast years ago before my book came out. And he was like, do you want to do the podcast? After the book comes out, I'm like, no, if you think this can help, let's do it. And he mentioned that. He goes, This is so cool. Like, everybody'd be like, no, we gotta, we gotta time it with the launch of the book. I'm like, no, if you want to do it, let's just do it. And and that response got me so much response because it's mm-hmm. like, just be who you are. It's not about a funnel. Like, I didn't have any funnel, I didn't have anything like that. I just wanted to get the book out. You know, yeah, totally. you learn stuff, you learn growth, you know, all that type of stuff. But like, no, I I love the way you've done it. I think it's the right way. So you, you mentioned your kids and uh, I have four kids. How many kids do you have? Three. Three boys. Three boys, yeah. And you guys, I, I did see on social that you guys traveled all over the, the country over the winter. You came as far west as Arizona, I believe, right? This time. Last time we went to... Yeah, we didn't hit you. We didn't get out last time, but we didn't know each other. Last time we went, we stayed a month in Arizona, a month in Oceanside. Then we went up to the Bay Area and then to Utah. In Colorado and all along there. This time we just we, we rented a place in Arizona for a couple months and said we're getting out of the east and we traveled. We just we just traveled Arizona for the most part. 
Well, next time you you must come to Santa Cruz because it's a little slice of heaven here, pretty much year round. So I love. I think I ate the best Thai food ever in Santa Cruz one time, just by accident. I think. <laughs> Do you remember the name? I don't. It was like a little hole in the wall. We were. It was my wife and I was before we had kids, and we just thought. And I remember. I don't know if I was just like I don't know if I was just really really hungry, or it was just really really good. It was one or the other because I was like, this is like the best thing I've ever eaten. That was huh, Santa do you, Cruz. Do you remember the street that it was on? Was it Pacific Avenue? Was it like downtown area? You know, I don't. I, have, I, don't, uh, I wish yeah. I remember. I wish there are I some. There are some phenom- some phenomenal Thai places in Santa Cruz County. One of them is called Pak Thai. On Pacific Avenue, I love Thai food. Oh. I love Thai food. Yeah. Well, that's what um, we'll have when I come out there. Yes, yes, we will. So, going back to your your three sons, yes. what what do you hope for them? What do you dream for them? And and how do you teach them to cultivate their dreams? That's that's a great question because I'm kind of a weird dad. I'm kind of I look at myself more than as a guide more than a leader in a lot of ways. Where I know what it's like when everybody tells you what they want you for, want for your life. I want you. To, I want you to be successful. I want you to be a teacher. I want you to be a lawyer. I want you to have benefits. All this stuff. I want my kids to live their life. That's what I want, and I want them to be able to determine that and establish that as young of an age as possible. It doesn't mean do whatever the heck you want. It doesn't mean you're going to eat marshmallows for breakfast. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying we homeschool because I knew what it was like to be told what to do for 12 years. And me not having a say in it. And I hated that. Mm-hmm. And I want my kids, so my kid, they study what they what they love studying. Now we do math and science and all that stuff. But my youngest loves taking apart electronics and learning circuit boards. So he's out there 6:30 in the morning writing down the numbers. I know nothing about a circuit board. So <laughs> we study that together. I learn as he does. I want them to have a love for learning, not in terms of like, oh, success. So you know, they say most kids when they leave school do not read a book. And it's because they were told what books to read for 12 years that they hate reading. My yeah. kids love reading because we read what they want to read. I want mm-hmm. them to have a love for learning. I want them to constantly have a love for learning where when they're 37 years old and what they're doing is not working, that they can change because they have the confidence in themselves to do it. And, mm-hmm. you know, so that's, that's the way we look at it. And hopefully we're doing okay. We'll, I'll let you know if we screw up. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, um, but it's working. It. Yeah, but it, it's like they they get to really study and learn what they what they love to do. So I want them to have that type of a life for themselves that they get to they get. You know, I, I asked Seth. Go. That was the question I asked Seth when he held up my book. You know, told told her. I said we homeschool our kids. We travel. We have carte blanche to teach them what we want. So what should we be teaching them, and what should we not be teaching them? He said, "There's only two things to teach them." One is to solve interesting to solve interesting problems, and two is to lead. If they can learn to solve interesting problems and to lead, everything else could be memorized. And but if you, you can do those two things, you will always have work. You will always be helping people. You mm-hmm. don't have to memorize everything. And I was like, and that's what he did, and and that's what we do with our kids, and it really seems to work. So we'll mm-hmm. see. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Because that boils down ultimately to curiosity, to developing an insatiable, curious appetite. And I think that that's something that, that we are outsourcing. We, we are, in, in a certain way, Western civilization in particular, because that's where 
you know, all the technology innovation and all of that stuff is is developing. And it's great. It's great. Technology is great. It, it gives us access. Mm-hmm. It gives us efficiency. It gives us all of these things. But there's also the dark side to technology and innovation. And that is the fact that we're able to outsource almost every decision to some sort of a computer function. And, and it, it really, it's caused us to outsource our, our intellect to a certain degree, you know? Our curiosity. I love that you said that because you're so spot on with that. And you know, it's hard to take in this world because everything they outsource everything that you're not brilliant at, right? And I'm like, I record, I recorded and edited my audiobook. Why? Because I wanted to learn how to do it. I would have been, you know, and I know that the editing would be done in my way as opposed to having to say now it took me a lot of time and it was a mm-hmm. big giant pain. And my goodness, listening to my voice day in and day out for a month is the most painful thing I could do to myself. And I'm so tired of my own stories because of saying it over and over again. But I learned how to do it. I learned how to do it. I am curious. And I don't think I would be curious if I outsourced everything. Mm. I, like, I like solving problems that I don't know. Now, this is related to what I do. I'm not solving you know, how to fix the gutter over here, which is never going to really help me. But, but in terms of my own world, I want to do it. I want to yeah. do it myself. Yeah, one hundred percent, totally. Yeah, totally. And you're gonna try, and a lot of it, you're gonna, you're going to, you've given yourself the freedom to fail at at trying something, right? And most yeah. people, most people won't give themselves that freedom because they're afraid of looking foolish. Oh, without a doubt. And most people feel like they don't have time. They, they don't have yeah. time. Like we've given ourselves financial and time freedom that I could spend a month. Deeping into my, you know, diving in deep to my audiobook, and it doesn't affect our life. Mm-hmm, I know a lot mm-hmm. of people can't, but that's why you get your money together. That's why you build your business. That's why you raise your prices. So you, that's why you work with the right clients. That's why you do all these things. So that when you want to take three months off with your kids or you want to record your audio, you have the freedom to do it. You know, go, ah, how many people I know they're doing great in business? They go, I can't, I can't go there. You know, everything's too busy. I'm like, you're successful. Why can't yeah. you create your own schedule? But they yeah. can't because they, They've scheduled themselves so tight. Well, I think that um, the the whole there's two really big lies that that we tell ourselves. Not to jump ahead to the 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 end of the questions, but when someone turned the mic on me and asked me the three biggest lies that we tell ourselves, the first two are that we don't have enough time, and the second one is that we have enough time, right? And one of the ways that do you know who Tony Grebmeyer is? I don't. He's an entrepreneur out of out of Colorado and also a former Santa Cruz resident, but really super cool guy. You guys should connect. I'll be happy to connect you guys. But um, he reminded me that you know we have 168 hours in a seven day week, and that you can pretty much do anything if you really are conscious of how you're spending your time. And so I put together this spreadsheet where I audited. My my schedule and it's it's beyond creating the the ideal seven day week right it's like way mm. more dialed in than that because I knew during while I was writing the nine months that I spent writing my my book I pretty much knew where every single hour was right what I was doing and I and I wasted very little time and I felt mm. so good I felt so good because our brain naturally wants to be doing something and growing and and developing and and the reason why we feel bored and depressed and uh, not capable or fearful is oftentimes because our brain is sitting in idle 
Yep. Anyway, we could have a whole other podcast about that too. But so as we as we wrap up this conversation, I want to make sure that people can connect with you and and go buy your book, download your audiobook. Where can they go online to do that? Yeah. Um, if you want the audiobook, it's free at our website, totallifefreedom.com. There's a link top right-hand corner. It's slash F2F book, I believe it is. Um, they can go there, download the book for free. Um, they can buy it at Amazon if they want to buy the physical copy. Um, and just my email's on there, Vincent at freelancetofreedombook.com. If anybody wants to email me, I love getting emails. I love having conversations. So um, that's pretty simple. Pretty simple that way. All right. The first of the three final questions. If you could, if you could pick any skill set that you currently possess, so a skill that you currently have, and turn it into a superpower, what would it be? I think what you mentioned the very early on in the call is would be the 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 ability to read what's going on, the ability to read the room. I think if you can do that, you can. I want to turn this into a super, superpower for other people um, because if I think so many people get lost on the fact that. They don't even see what's going on around them. And they miss out on so much because they don't read the room well. I think if you can understand what, where other, what other people's motivations are, what their fears are, what their, you know, what their ambitions are, what they really want, what's holding them back, you can have such a greater impact in this world. And I think most people go through life thinking so much about themselves and what they need that they don't pay attention to what other people are thinking or feeling. Preach. Love it. That, that's awesome. I love that. Okay, the next question is, what are three lies that we tell ourselves that prevent us from realizing what we're truly capable of becoming? There are so many because we base so much of our adult life on what you know that kid in eighth grade said on the, on the school court, on the, on, the, on, the, on the basketball court. And we actually believe that now. So mm-hmm. a lie is like what, believing what happened in your, your former life. Because I remember when I went away to college and I was like, oh my goodness, nobody's judging me on what I did when I was in eighth grade. I felt free and I got to be who I was. So the mm-hmm. opinions of others, especially from our youth, I can't afford it. I can tell the people that succeed by the people that don't succeed by what they invest in themselves. And that is complete. When, when I was, even when we were on the, the path to get out of debt, because we did the whole Dave Ramsey thing, we paid off our house, we were in complete defense mode and it worked. We got out of debt, but we never did anything for ourselves. And Dan Miller taught me this in terms of playing offense. And when he plays offense, he thinks, how do I do it? How do I afford it? As opposed to I can't afford it. And everybody, I don't know if it's fear. I don't know if it's the way they were taught. But so often, the number one thing is I can't afford it. Why, why can't you travel? I'd love to travel for three months with my kid. Why? Why don't you? I can't afford it. As opposed to like, how can I afford this? What can I do? And then actually, instead of watching Netflix, do the things that make that where you can afford it. So I think that holds so many people back from their dreams. The third one... Third one, that's, that's a good question. But ah, lies we tell ourselves that we're not good enough. I mean, really, that's the whole thing. It's that, that we're not good enough to do this. It's so much, like, why don't you do it? Why don't you start the podcast? Why don't you write the book? Who am I to write the book? Like when you said to me, like, what gave you the audacity? Well, who cares? My mom and my wife are going to read it. What harm is there going to be except for my time? <laughs> yeah. I, I, read, I, I wrote this book thinking just, you know, it's for my kids. That's literally why I wrote the book. I'm writing stories down. And then when I remember the first person that read the e-copy before it was even published and they started like, I'm doing these things you're saying. I'm like, oh my God, it's actually affecting somebody. And now it's affecting all these people. I only wrote it because I wanted my kids to read it. I didn't expect anybody to read it. And that's the other thing 
Seth told me that that was, oh, here's, here's a lie. I don't know if it's a lie, but that day that I told you where he held up my book, he said to me, he said, this is a Seth Godin promotion here, but that's what, that's what we're doing here. Right. Um, <laughs> he said to me, he said, how'd the book launch go? And I said, it went great. I had no expectations. And he got real serious. And he goes, that's perfect. Never have any expectations when releasing your book. And I think often we have so much expectations on what we should get from it. And I don't. I had none with my book. So it gave me no... What, what's there to lose? What's there to lose? So I think we hold ourselves back with that. Mm-hmm. Did I answer that third one for you? Yes. Or did yeah, I just yeah, ramble? That, that's, yeah. That, that, no, that's beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, these are questions where people can... Talk, my whole show is a big ramble. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> I love it. My favorite. Um, so the final question is, well, I'm gonna. It's gonna be interesting to see how you answer this, but it's it's a hundred years from now, and someone has discovered a photograph that someone else actually took of Vincent Puglisi and his family, hmm. and and it was a it was a it was a fo- an image that you had actually commissioned to be done by one of your favorite photographers. To, to help you capture the answer to this question. How will you measure your life? What does that photograph look like? Hopefully, I'm not frustrated with the kids at that very moment. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. Assuming, assuming not. Assuming not. Assuming not. Assuming everything's going on. We are, we're in an adventure. We're in an adventure and we're discovering and we're learning together. And we're having a great time together. That's where it is. I can see it in the road, on the road in Arizona or in Colorado or right here it doesn't really matter but we're having fun together we are we're curious and we are exploring and if, if we do that that's you know to me that's staying young and hopefully I want that for my kids to, to stay curious to be to be and have energy in your life to be helping other people and to be just learning always learning so that, that's what that's why we love to travel because we're always learning it's not the same thing over and over again so I would imagine it wouldn't be in our house watching a movie. That's what I would imagine it wouldn't be. Vincent Puglisi, thank you so much for joining us on the Impact Entrepreneur Show and sharing your incredible story. And I look forward to keeping in touch and and collaborating in the future. Mike, you're awesome, man. Thank you so much for this. Appreciate it. Thank you to this week's guest and thank you for listening. If you missed any of the key points and highlights from my conversation, we've got you covered over at theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash podcast for show notes to each and every episode. And while you are there, check out Flynn Wealth Strategies and Insurance Solutions. You can do that by visiting flynnwealthstrategies.com. The Lot Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters. We could not do this show without them and with all of their support. Now, until next time, go make an impact.